Hello, and welcome to Obscure Mystery, the show where we dig deeper about obscure members of history, most specifically, obscure women. I'm Emily DeYoung, and today's episode is about an amazingly interesting and intensive group of women, the Vestal Virgins. This episode covers basic facts about who the Vestal Virgins were and their roles in ancient Rome. The Vestal Virgins' main purpose was to worship Vesta, the goddess of the hearth. They were the only group of women who worshipped a god or goddess on the Roman Forum. The practice is believed to have started in 7 BCE and was banned in 394 CE by Theodosius I, or as some call him, to my amusement, Theodosius the Great Flavius Theodosius. The Vestal Virgins were seen as some of the most important women in ancient Rome. However, they are currently not talked about, making them another obscure mystery. In ancient Rome, there existed a small group of women, essentially a cult, devoted to worshipping the goddess Vesta. Vesta was a goddess of the hearth, and rather than having a statue dedicated to her likeness, Vesta had an ever-burning flame present in the Roman Forum. This flame symbolized many values mirrored in Roman society, and they will be touched upon later on in the episode. This group consisted of four to six young women dressed in stola, or simple white draped dresses. Additionally, they wore their hair shorter in the same fashion as married women in Rome, as to signify that they would remain married to their jobs until their tenure ended. These vestals began their service at the ages of six through ten. They were chosen by the Pontifex Maximus, or the head priest, from Rome's prominent families. Two were chosen for the Titanuses, two from the Ramnuses, and two from the Lucruses. I pardon my pronunciation on that. To become a Vestal Virgin, it was necessary that the maiden should not be under six, nor above ten years of age, perfect in all her limbs, in the full enjoyment of all her senses, had two alive parents, was the daughter of free and freeborn parents who had never been in slavery, who followed no dishonorable occupation, who didn't have a Vestal already in the family, and whose home was in Italy. When there was a vacancy among the Vestals, the Pontifex Maximus, or head priest, was required to give a list of 20 different qualified damsels. If a family came forward and offered their eligible daughter for this position, they would not be required to get a list of 20 girls, rather they'd just take the one girl. The girls were taken from their families regardless of whether or not their families wanted this for her. Once chosen, they would not be able to have familial contact anymore, and at this point the girl would only live to serve Vesta. This girl would leave her family and move to the temple which they would live in for the next chapter of their lives, located on the Roman Forum. The Vestal would serve 30 years, with 10 being a training period, the second 10 being a practicing period, and the last 10 being a teaching period for the newer, younger Vestals. It was truly quite a cyclical operation. They learned all of the information needed for their job at the Collegia at the Vestales, which seems to be connected to where the sacred flame of Vesta was located. Being the oldest sister among the Vestals was the most respected position as a Vestal, and the official title of this woman was the Vestalis Maxima. As Plutarch stated when writing about the Vestal Virgins, some are of the opinion that these Vestals had no other business than the preservation of the sacred fire, but others conceive that they were keepers of other divine secrets concealed from all but themselves. Now, the Vestals didn't do nothing for 30 years. Their main duty was to attend the sacred ever-burning flame in order to appease the Roman goddess Vesta, the goddess of the hearth. In addition to making sure that this flame would never go out, one requirement of the Vestals was that under any circumstances as a Vestal they should not become unchaste. The idea of becoming unchaste basically means that they were supposed to remain virgins as long as they attended Vesta's flame. 
The Vestas were essentially, I'm making air quotes at this next word, married to Vesta and religiously dedicated to her. Therefore, to have a lover would be to betray the goddess. Additionally, the Vestals would be in charge of fetching water from a sacred well to clean Vesta's temple with in order to keep the place of worship clean. The temple must have had to be working well in order to signify the devotion to the goddess. The Vestals were also charged with the job of ritually sprinkling herbs and mola salsa or salted flour on sacrificial pedestals in order to appease the goddess. The Vestals were also charged with the job of officiating at Vestalia, a large celebration which took place for a week around June 7th and lasted around until the 15th. This celebration was dedicated to the goddess Vesta, who was very important to Roman society because she symbolized a hearty home life. The Vestals were also in charge of the Romans' sacrifices to Vesta. A final, lesser important duty of the Vestals were to take place in the Romans' marriage ceremonies. As stated earlier, the sacred flame was important because it was a shrine to Vesta, the goddess of the hearth. This flame was so important to the citizens of Rome, in fact, because if it went out, it spelt bad omens for the city of Rome. The Vestals would watch by turns, night and day, that the everlasting fire didn't go out, and if the everlasting flame did go out, they would be harshly punished. Instead of thinking that the flame would go out because of something, I don't know, reasonable, like a small breeze, the city thought that if the flame went out, this was because one of the Vestals had made a grave mistake. The Vestal that was to have made this mistake would then be stripped and then harshly beaten by the Pontifex Maximus, who, after the beating, would then rekindle the flame. Because the flame and the Vestals were pretty directly linked to the future of Rome, the Vestals would also be pretty heavily blamed for the losses in war. Usually, this would mean that the city would be frustrated with the Vestals, but occasionally people blamed these losses on specific Vestals, leading to legal trials to determine the fate of a Vestal. This specific blaming essentially insinuated that a certain Vestal was no longer chaste, which is why the goddess was angry and gave Rome a defeat. Of course, this was a grand accusation, especially because it wasn't in a Vestal's, air quotes again, job description, that they should become unchaste. If a Vestal was found to have become unchaste in her time as being a Vestal, there would be extremely dire consequences. An accused Vestal would be bound and placed on a chair, paraded through the streets of Rome, and then told to climb into an underground tomb grave where she would starve to death. You see, the Romans were classy about the disposal of Vestals. They had laws declaring that a Vestal's blood should never spill, therefore the burying of Vestals alive was the number one and almost only choice. In addition to burying a Vestal alive, there would be even more ways of giving the ultimate punishment to the Vestals, one of these being to pour molten lead down the throat of a guilty Vestal. Of course, because these accusations were so serious, there was great care to have a trial deciding whether or not the Vestal actually did become unchaste. However, these trials seem to have been a bit biased, with the outcome most likely being that the Vestal was, in fact, guilty. Most versions, though, did keep their vows thankfully, and that means that not all of them were buried alive or filled with lead. With all this molten lead and burying people alive, you may wonder why somebody would even want to become a Vestal Virgin. Many families would try their hardest to avoid the fate of one daughter becoming a Vestal, but ultimately somebody had to do it. Some families, however, did want their daughter to be a Vestal Virgin. To start with, the women who did become Vestals were not subject to the, excuse my likely botched pronunciation, pater postas, or the power of the father. 
This means that as a Vestal, one was allowed to handle their own properties and engage in legal contracts. Also, as a Vestal, they were allowed to ride in special carriages, they had front row seats at various games in the Colosseum, they were able to give evidence in a court of justice without taking an oath, and they were allowed to give other women their property in their will. Vestals also received a pretty cushy allotment from Rome after their 30-year stints as Vestals. In addition to all of the reasons said, some girls and their families wished them to be Vestals because of the honor that came along with the job, not just the dangerous consequences. As a Vestal virgin, you were seen as a messenger of the goddess Vesta herself. Public opinion was so high of the Vestal virgins, which is likely why the punishment for breaking the terms of being a Vestal or becoming unchaste was so extreme. Speaking about the idea of becoming unchaste, I haven't really defined this quite exactly. By becoming unchaste, this does not only mean to have sex with somebody, but rather it encompasses much more. Being chased to a Vestal meant that they would not look at a man or even think about things, which meant that they could not even think about marriage. In a diary, one Vestal wrote, How happy w married women are. Oh, I may die if marriage is not sweet. Upon discovery of this entry, she was tried and found guilty of becoming unchaste. This idea was reinforced by the non-presence of men within the temple. The only man that would enter would be the Pontifex Maximus. No more men were allowed. Additionally, if a Vestal even hung around those who were not necessarily the purest, or as Richard Hawley and Barbara Levick say, lived in the company of whores, you as a Vestal would be seen as unchaste. Ultimately, I think that this really speaks to the idea of virginity being a socially constructed idea because as we know it, virginity is likely described as having intercourse with somebody, and if we compare that to the Vestal's concept of virginity, you could definitely see the effect which society had on the idea. In addition to the disdain for becoming unchaste by thinking about men or living around impure people, one could also be considered impure if they did simple things such as care about one's appearance too heavily. One example was the Vestal Minucia, who, according to legend, was sentenced to death based on an improper love of dress. That sounds like a terrible reason to become a human pencil. <laughs> in a way, the Vestals did not have a stereotypically male nor female role in their society. They were socially not a man or woman, in a way, because of what they were not allowed to take part in, which was basically your average ancient Roman girl's activities, such as getting married or having children at a young age and they were rather devoted to worship. Although the Vestals did have the opportunity to get married after their stints ended as Vestals, which was around the ages of 36 to 40, many were so dedicated to their past jobs that they decided against marriage. Those who did marry felt a lot of shame surrounding her marriage. However, the husbands of the Vestals took their marriage as a great honor, specifically because their wives had previously been very important women in Rome. So you might be wondering, what happened to the Vestal Virgins? Did their practice stop because of the horrible consequences that happened? Why aren't there Vestals around today? Well, in the end, the practice of Vestal Virgins and their eternal flame was abolished by Theodosius I in 394 BCE. Some historians consider the disbanding of the Vestals and the extinguishing of the eternal flame one of the major things that contributed to the end of the Roman Empire because it turned Romans away from their traditional beliefs and more towards Christianity. Gibbons's hypothesis, who was the writer of the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. 
Regardless of whether or not you subscribe to Edward Gibbons's hypothesis, you could say that the abolishing of the practice of Vestal Virgins did take something away from the soul of Rome, seeing that the eternal flame was what some Romans saw, essentially the heart and soul of Europe. Personally, I for one am glad that this practice ended because I think the world could do with less people buried alive or filled with lead. I don't know, just a thought. And that concludes today's episode about the Vestal Virgins and what their role was in ancient Rome. Before I end my podcast, I would like to thank Adele Virgis and Leticia Wiggins for being both my capstone mentors on this project and helping me with research questions and anything that I might need regarding microphones and all that. Additionally, I would like to say thank you to Jesse Price and Sophie Gallucci for helping me with this microphone and setting it up and teaching me how it works. Thank you guys, I couldn't have made it without you and I hope you enjoyed.